Welcome to Reinventing Professionals, a podcast hosted by industry analyst Ari Kaplan, which shares ideas, guidance, and perspectives from market leaders shaping the next generation of legal and professional services. This is Ari Kaplan, and I'm speaking today with Dean Gonsowski, the Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at ActiveNav, a data privacy and governance software provider. Hi, Dean. How are you? I'm great, Ari. How are you? I'm well. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Tell us about your background and your roles with ActiveNav. We've gone way back and in many e-discovery incarnations of companies in the past. So I've been probably 20 years in e-discovery land, former practicing attorney by trade and have been variety of front of the office type of customer facing roles at places like Clearwell and Recommind and Relativity and some of the all-stars I like to think in the e-discovery world. And about three and a half years ago, went over to ActiveNav and thought I would, I don't want to say leave e-discovery behind. I got rid of my EDRM tattoo and, and uh, didn't really anticipate spending too much time in e-discovery land, but increasingly e-discovery is moving left and we're ending up working with a lot of some of the partners and service providers that are in e-discovery as e-discovery continues to morph into looking at other data challenges. What specific challenges is ActiveNav helping organizations overcome? Well, we've historically been more of an information governance where we would examine large swaths of unstructured data. We often call it user-generated or data in the wild. And that's the stuff that's really proliferates with organizations over time. It's the things that get created, PowerPoint, spreadsheets, emails. They get created and they get left and abandoned. So we've helped companies historically categorize, classify, and remediate those pieces of information. So maybe they're, they've got a bunch of redundant or obsolete or trivial information they want to clean up. Maybe they're getting ready for a cloud migration. They might have records management initiatives. And so all those things we've helped companies do historically. And over the last year or two, we've really moved more into the post-breach response and data privacy areas. How are the disciplines of information governance and privacy connected? I often think about, in terms of business drivers, there's a sales methodology, qualification methodology called MEDIC. And there's one of the aspects in MEDIC, which is the cost of doing nothing. And for a long time, information governance was important, but not critical. And so forward-thinking organizations would do things to govern their information, to manage it, to control it, to migrate it, to delete it, and those sorts of things. One of the big differences that we're seeing is that data privacy historically wasn't a thing here in the States. There's a famous Scott McNeely quote, Sun Microsystems, like 20 years ago, and he said, you've got no privacy, get over it. Apparently, people didn't get over it. And our friends in Europe with GDPR really started this big push around the need for stronger online data privacy legislation. And that's led a number of uh, states here, California, Colorado, Virginia, et cetera, to, to launch into the data privacy area. And that's been a huge driver because there are tremendous costs to doing nothing. There are fines and sanctions and all those interplay with the data breach landscape, which one of the favorite things I've seen lately is sort of this notion of assume breach, quote unquote, which is, it used to be, you know, five, 10 years ago, you were unlucky or poorly prepared if you got breached. Now it's at the point where everyone's breached all the time. And if you don't know you're breached, you're just probably waiting to find out. So 
the disciplines are somewhat related, but the sense of urgency around data privacy is really palpable and will continue to escalate as more states enact regulations. How does the remote and hybrid workplace affect these issues? Well, it just it contributes to information sprawl. One of the things we see, I'm sure you see just in your practice working with companies, is if everyone's on-premise and everyone's using the systems that they should be using, you don't have as much challenge managing the your information estate, if you will. And when you go remote, you start getting a lot more shadow IT. And so you'll see collaboration tools like Slack and Teams and others proliferating, and, and they're fine. But you can do almost anything with Slack and Teams in terms of sending around content. So you might have a place you're supposed to store information, and then you have Slack and you drop PowerPoint spreadsheets, other things into into the Slack environment. And it's that broadening of the footprint of your data that makes it all that much harder to govern. And then when a laptop or something gets stolen or somebody gets hacked, uh, we're just doing our internal security training and they're talking about all these social engineering and, and phishing attempts that are out there. Those continue to get more advanced. And then inevitably, since the hackers only need to be right once to get your information, you'll have somebody within your organization get hacked and then all that information now is at peril. The company recently launched a data mapping as a service initiative. What's driving that new offering? Well, there's a couple of things. Even back in the day, I'm sure you remember Fios way back now, like 20 years ago. I remember doing some really old school manual data mapping exercises. If you had a e-discovery matter, kind of one of the first things you needed to do is just figure out where the 10 custodians all kept their data. And you realized as you worked with companies that serial litigants that kind of look for this over time, they would create these ranges of just static snapshot data maps. And for even a lot of our customers, mapping and creating an inventory of data is one of the first things they do. But oddly enough, they always are focusing on the end game, the migration or deletion or categorization of information, and not sort of the the initial first salvos. And so for us, it's a little bit of turning our business kind of on its head, which is let's focus on the first mile. And the first mile is you have to understand what you have before you can then take some action. And, and ultimately, yes, you're going to take some action. And uh, you see this with um, LIBOR contracts right now. It's a kind of a hot thing in the industry. And everyone needs to find their LIBOR contracts and change terms, et cetera. And that's a wonderful end state and thing that people need to do. But the first step is you just have to understand where your data is and let's find those contracts even in the first place before you go change them. So for us, it's about shedding light on companies' information universe. And then once you're there, it really opens up the, the possibilities to do lots of interesting things. How does this version of data mapping reflect the changing nature of data in the industry? Well, a couple of things. One... I don't know if you, you remember any of these technologies, but 10, 20 years ago, there were a number of attempts to create an, a master index of all the data within an organization and autonomy. And a few other people tried these things and they were so heavyweight that they ultimately never worked. They were just too slow and too cumbersome. And so the initiative, while a laudable one, just never got off the ground. And for us, we've been in business over a dozen years and working with people like you know Equifax, where we had 10 petabytes of data under management for them at one point in time. And we've really cracked the code on how to 
efficiently look at large and really large swaths of information, billions of files. And so I would say the ability to create lightweight data visibility and analysis where you look at facets of data in a quick and efficient way is what's really different. And that allows you, if you can do that, to keep the solution on. And we sometimes talk about it being bit-bit for your data where, yeah, you can go to the doctor and get your blood pressure checked, which is cool, and cholesterol, all those things. But what if you can wear a Fitbit and it just does that for you over time, daily, without you having to think about it? And so on any given day, you can track your progress. And so for us, that's why we call this sort of as a service, because we want the mapping, once you've started it and you're, you're using our solution, to just stay ever-present, evergreen, and always on. You've been writing about zero dark data. Why should professionals be aware of this information? We as a company a year or so ago looked at what was our North Star and what we're going to do to differentiate ourselves from a lot of the solutions that were out in the market. And, and after a lot of soul searching and working with some creative folks, we really we honed in on dark data as the problem, right? Where if information doesn't have transparency and visibility, you can't take the next step. And so for us, this is a really good way for us to say that our mission and, and a company's mission should be zero dark data. And that's going to be aspirational, obviously, for a lot of companies early on. But eventually, you'll have to get to the point where you understand your data estate. And one of the things that's really interesting, I find, in some of these post-breach follow-up um, cases where they do the post-mortem is the people who really understand your data are the hackers because they have time. They get into, I don't know if you've seen some of the stats, but the average amount of time that a hack is underway is not days or weeks or even months. Usually it's, it's on the order of years, 300 and some odd days for an average amount of egress within a hack. And so those hackers have, let's call it a year to get inside your data estate and find all the crown jewels and all the sensitive pieces of information. For us, that if the hackers can find visibility into your data, it's probably a good idea for you to do it first. How do you see these issues continuing to impact legal teams? As data privacy as a discipline proliferated, it's not been clear immediately where that fits within an organization, and different companies have it placed in different areas. What we've seen is that legal is probably the best home for data privacy because it's got such a strong regulatory component, at least the way it's rolling out. We think that going forward, things like e-discovery and governance and risk and compliance and privacy all become spokes off the hub in the legal domain. And whether that's law firms where they're counseling clients or in-house and certainly at service providers, this is the new frontier of taking a look at data privacy and all the things that are going to continue to proliferate. If you just look at the Illinois biometric law that's out now, it's a law. If you fail to comply with it, there's fines and sanctions. And who's responsible for that organizationally? You can say, well, it's IT's job, but IT may have a role in it, but the company has to decide what their exposure and posture and compliance looks like. This is really a pretty exciting area for a lot of legal professionals and you've seen a proliferation of IAPP and a number of other privacy organizations that are out there that are filling that void. This is Ari Kaplan speaking with Dean Gonsowski, the Chief Revenue Officer and Chief Marketing Officer at ActiveNav, a data privacy and governance software provider. Dean, thanks so very much. 
Thanks, Ari. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Reinventing Professionals podcast. Visit ReinventingProfessionals.com or AriKaplanAdvisors.com to learn more.